Welcome back, everybody. This is the Fall Line with Chaos and Company. And yes, we are back. Angelo Ross, my partner, myself, Dave Capron, we are here and we are hitting it off. First episode, season four. And I have to say, all our sponsors are back, which is so awesome with Technica Blizzard coming back on with us, our major sponsor. We have Rollerblade again this year, and then also Nick's Boot Fitting over at Mount Snow. So if you're thinking about getting your boots fit, that's the place to go. And um, we're just killing it. We haven't even started, and Angela and I are so excited. We have Mike Porter on this episode to start the season, to kill it. Season four, Mike, thanks so much for being here. Pleasure to be with you guys. It's great to be on the kickoff session. <laughs> uh, we, a- Angela's been talking for a long time. We've been trying to figure out. We we try to put the spots, and and it, it's like we want Mike Porter. We want Mike Porter, and he's and he's always he comes back from National Academy. He's geared right up, and um, things kind of go into the summer. So, but this one just fell into place. I know he had some plans. Angela had some plans. He knew some stuff was coming down the pike, and and I want to let our listeners know that um, if they haven't seen it, that you you're going to be inducted into the U.S. Ski and Snowboard Hall of Fame this winter which is so, so amazing. That's such an honor. You must be just thrilled with that. Yeah, thanks. Semi-shocked, but definitely humbled. Yeah, yeah. And proud proud for the organization. I mean, to me, it's equal that our organization is getting, you know, represented in the Hall of Fame, that that we play a role in the history of skiing. So that's probably the most powerful part for me. Yeah, it's just, yeah, that's so cool. It's, uh, Angelo's been really excited and Angelo has that education background. And I know for him, and I know he wants to say a few things here or chat too, that just thinking about education. And that's, it's so cool. When I saw this, that you were being inducted, it's like, I mean, you have been the educator your entire career. It's not like you went, that I've seen stuff, which I probably missed because you probably did at some point. It wasn't like you were winning the Olympics and getting gold medals and skiing. It was you were an educator. <laughs> And and that's Angelo's just love of everything. And uh, you know, Angelo, you want to say anything? I just I I agree with Mike. I just think it's it's such great recognition for uh, you know high, very very high end recreational skiers, which is what we are, or what yeah. I consider us to be, acknowledged at that level. You know, because yeah. it, it's it's uh, it's the bulk of the ski world. It's yeah. I, it's easy to honor athletes who are at the top of their game. That's that's low hanging fruit, and that's not to disparage athletes at that level because I'm certainly not one. But it's nice to see it's nice to see recognition in a in a different in a different silo of what we do. So congratulations, Mike. It, it's uh, I've had the the the, pl- the pleasure and the privilege to to ski with Mike a few times, and it's I tell you what, <laughs> it's always a blast. You know, but it, it, it doesn't take you long to, to realize how much depth and breadth Mike Porter has when you're with him. Thanks, yeah. Angelo. <laughs> so okay. I, 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 always, I had to start with this, of course, to introduce you. And we always start at the beginning and, and where you learn how to ski in that. But I want to talk about this a little bit. And uh, the induction, I believe, in March. Um, and I just wanted to ask you, you know, looking at the history and skiing and ski teaching, I believe this, this honoring of you will inspire so many folks in snow sports, um, to try to achieve greatness just in ski teaching where, um, it, it's amazing to see one of our ski teachers be put in this place in the ski hall of fame. I mean, Ellen Post Foster, I know is in there and she's got also the education, but she's got that incredible world cup background and freestyle stuff. But, um, 
you know, how does it feel that, that, you know, you're inspiring and have inspired so many people over the years with teaching in this honor? You know, in some ways it's intimidating yeah. because that, that never was the intent. You know, and when I engage in discussions with people, to me, I always felt I'm learning more than they are. Yeah. I love the process and running ideas by people. So to me, that that was a process for my growth. You know, and I sought out tons of other people. And then when they come back and say, oh, you're mentoring me, you know, I kind of look and I'm going, who's mentoring who? Uh You know, and and I I think sometimes we look at mentoring sometimes in the wrong context that I'm mentoring somebody versus this is just the locker room discussions. How did your day go? What were your students doing? What did you try? I was over here. Did you think the snow changed? What did you do to switch it up? My people freaked out. You know, it's it, it's sharing that love and that passion and engagement. And, um, and and I think the true instructors do that. I think there's a lot of that going on, a lot of that in the locker room. And, and it, you know, we just need to keep encouraging it more and more. But really, that that's part of the process. And I think when you get older, then you look back and you have people say, oh, you really made a difference. And 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 I'm the one saying thank you. <laughs> you know, it, you know. So so to, so to me, I, I I think it's encouraging that process. Yeah. You know, and it's growth, and and that that's what keep. I mean, personally, what keeps me going. Yeah. I mean, today I'm out there with my wife's boots. She's got some new boots, and I'm trying to set them up. And we're, you know, talking to other friends. Where do you go skiing? What do you do this and that? It just, you know, it keeps you young. It keeps you fired up. It keeps your the enthusiasm there and. And I think it, that's the passion. I mean, our job, number one, is to share share our passion, get people excited. You know, why are we still in this business? I mean, there's something there that's really affected our lives. You know, and I want to share that with people. So to me, that's more mentoring. It's just sharing that passion because I, I think it's, it's given me way more good times than bad times. Healthy, mentally, physically, emotionally, spiritually. I don't know how many ways you do it, but it's. It's huge. Um, and, and, and that seems, I don't, and maybe it comes from way back when you were on the team in the seventies and the coach there through the seventies and eighties, because um, and Angelo will probably want to talk about this too. When Angelo and I got the podcast going three years ago, we were kind of like, well, who's going to come on, man, just going to be you and I talking to each other or what, <laughs> who's going to listen to that. And we've had tremendous, tremendous support from our PSA Aussie um, national team members. Um, we've had so many on and some multiple times. Um, we even had Matt Boyd on by himself. So he didn't get chaperoned with his brother, Jeb, <laughs> which he was very happy about. Um, but yeah, you can, I mean, you feel that from the team, at least I do that sharing that passion. And that I think is something that probably was instilled and started way back when you were on the team. Yeah. That, and that was our development fundamental for sure. I mean, yeah. if we go to the history of the team, you can see where it started. Sure. Because I know Angelo loves him, man. He goes National Academy, and I mean, and now in his new position of see if I can get it right. I've been trying to trying to practice as Angelo, the Education Development Manager. Is that correct? That's correct. Oh, I had to to read my email signature as you were saying it to make sure. (laughs) No, I'm excited about that. I think this is fantastic. 
Yeah, it's 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 super cool to to Angela to reset. I mean, he's 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 able to hit and um, you know, this inner going to Inishki this past winter. I know he really was jazzed up with just meeting some of the folks. And we had like Jeff Marks and Perry Schmunk from Canada on last year, and that was kind of a jazz, and then going to Inerski. So yeah, we'll chat about that later too. Um, yeah, let me just say, like, but yeah. similar to what Mike said, like it's it's just it's that it's getting that fix that turned you on to it in the first place you know it's and how lucky are we that like we all we all started out getting that in our locker room on our on our local hill and then it spreads a little farther and you're maybe getting it at a at a divisional level or regional level and then you go to an academy and you're getting that fix it's just on a bigger stage and inner is the next inevitable piece but it, it it just always boils down to the fact that you're riding up the chair or riding up the t-bar with some somebody who's just jazzed about being there as you are you know and you get to nerd out at a little different level maybe <laughs> yeah <laughs> so can mike can you talk to us a little bit about if it's the same or different like what inspired you back in 1975 as a team member and what inspires you now in skiing and teaching like have things evolved that there's some new things that inspire you in skiing and teaching different than then or are things very similar it's a good question. I think the inspiration's the same, but times have changed. I mean, to me, the inspiration really was when, I mean, I didn't start out with the idea of thinking I was going to be a teacher. I mean, I would taught skiing going to university so I could ski. <laughs> you know, pretty myself, I could make a little bit of money, you know, to cover my costs going up to the mountain in the weekend. And you talk during the busy periods. Uh, and then I soon found out that you could impact people's lives. I mean, something I never expected. I mean, you're going teaching somebody and you're going out there and at the end of the lesson, they go, you know, I never, I never had any confidence. I didn't think I could do this. And you know what you did? I mean, all of a sudden I got confidence. I got belief in myself. And, you know, you see these people two weeks later and they go, you know, I took this to work. I took this to my job. You know, this confidence, the, the ability to problem solve, the ability to overcome it. And, you know, the other jobs I did, you, you didn't really have that type of reward. You know, I sell them a product. I was working at a ski shop part time and you sell skis. People come, oh, I really like that ski sold me or the boots fit well, whatever, or they my feet hurt, whatever. But all of a sudden you said people really come back and said, I haven't had that much fun in my life. And, yeah, you know, so, so these these little intrinsic rewards that, that skiing was just a metaphor. I mean, it could have been a number of other things, but but to me, that all of a sudden I went out there and it was mentally it was challenging for me because you're problem solving. What, what what's making this person click? What's going on? How do how do I get to them? And you know, this I figured out that person. I just challenged that person. He's going, but this one's a little bit more introverted. You know, it, so it was a mentally stimulating game, but you could see see the results, and I think. That was the biggest change you did, did in all the things I'd done. I go, you know, you actually, people come back and they say, God, that was great. That's, I had the most fun I've ever had. Or I was so scared of stuff before I didn't do it. Or I've been trying to figure that out and, and you solved it. You know, T- to me, it was that type of reward. Yeah. Well, you hear it from people that ski with you. You know, I haven't had the pleasure to ski with you, but I know Angelo has and I hear it from him, but I hear it from others and from those you 
worked with through the years that of, of how you've guided them and you've been a mentor to them and how you've changed or or gave them a direction in their career. I mean, Ellen Post Foster speaks to that. She's written some stuff, some quotes on it um, of how you really helped her form her career. Your thoughts on working with you. Um, Dave Schuling, our director of education programs nationally, has written a few things, you know, comments that same kind of thing. Um, that's That's got to be super rewarding to see folks reach that level and that pinnacle that you've had a little bit of impact and we're able to help them if they feel so positive about it. Oh, I think it's definitely rewarding. But as I said before, the reward goes both sides. Because yeah. I mean, a lot of times when you go, you say, I put in my eight hours, you know, what did I get out of today? Did I have any help or benefit or what am I contributing to society? You know, you get all those questions. And, yeah. and you sort of, so in basically I'd say there is a reward there. But it's a reward, but yet the next day you go out, it's a challenge because how you work with one doesn't mean you cookie cutter that to the next person. So it's it's always a challenge. So to me, I, I mean, I every class I teach, I panic. Every clinic I go, <laughs> I'm panicked. I mean, I, I'm thinking, God, trying to get the big picture ideas and, you know, how are we going to connect and where do they think they want to go? And, you know, so it's really trying to work with them. So it's always challenging that way. So, but the reward is fun. and. And we all can laugh and get better. And, and, you know, I'm excited to see like Ellen and Dave, the success they've had. It's yeah. really good. I mean, but they did it. <laughs> you can always give two bits of advice, but that's the meaning. <laughs> so here's one I, I'd like to ask you. I, I just, I'm the uh, development team coach in that, here in the East. And that's for the folks that are coming on our ed staff that want to become examiners and assessors. And so they have to go to a tryout. So I wrote an article for our newsletter and talked a little bit about kind of what you were just saying that, um, you know, questioning myself, you know, looking in within, like, do I have what it takes? Do I have, you know, every day myself personally, Dave Capron, you know, going, okay, what do I got to do today? What's this group going to be like? How do I got to, how do I set this up? Then I see him and like, okay, can I make this happen? I think a lot of people think we all just go out and we've got the confidence, like we're going to kill it today. I know, man. And so I wrote in that article a little bit about that to try to don't let that hold you back. Don't let the thought of like, oh, I don't know if I'm good enough or I don't know if I do it all right. Because I, I personally think that's a little bit of what great, great people have that have great success. They always question where they are to be able to improve. Is, is, do you view it that way? 100%. I mean, if I'm going to go with my presentation, then I'm giving my presentation. I'm not learning. You know, and and it's probably never as good as the first time I gave it. You know, so it's actually deteriorating. So, no, I, I look at the challenge. I'm trying to create a learning environment, create an open environment, engage in discussion. Uh, so, so my job really is somewhat a facilitator, and I got no idea where it's going to go. I mean, generally, we have big picture themes we need to be working on, but how the tangents are going to get there and you pull the pieces, it's, it's there, you know. And that's part of it. But but I openly tell them that. I said, we go in here. We're in this together. We're going to problem. That's why. What do you think? What is going through your mind? You got some great ideas. We've got a bunch of people here. Let's engage them. You know, some people may just be on the chairlift because, right, because they don't want to get in front of everybody. And then you, you take some of those ideas and pass them on. But it's orchestrating that that I think is the real key. Because, I mean, I'm no genius. So <laughs> it didn't take me long to figure that out. So, I, I mean, my lifespan would have been like two years and I'm done, you know, played out. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Angela, cracks me up, man. Oh, 
Angelo loves that educational puzzle, man. He loves to think yeah. about, I know we talk a lot, just trying to figure out how to create situations and fix things. The problem solver. Yeah. Well, I've had a few trailer prices with Angelo. I know that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I think, mean, but it gets, it gets like way more interesting once you get over yourself and you, and, and, you know, if you're, if you're really interested in the process and you're really interested in people getting it and you're really curious about, you know, like Mike, you mentioned different, the conditions change from morning to afternoon. And if you're really interested in knowing how that all works, like, um, you, I think you, you do have a greater lifespan because it's not spitting out the same egocentric or, or, or contrived thing that you prepared last year and you just keep using it over and over again but it grabs your attention it just gets more and more interesting as you go i think that's got to do something with the longevity 100 100 so i I sort of already know the answer to the next question because you've answered it pretty much but i want to go a little in depth in it of just i i know i think a lot of your personal drive comes from the reward you get from teaching and seeing people succeed and and being able to solve that problem as you've been talking about. And um, I kind of look at it like Chris Erickson gets on me that I don't wear my pin enough, my my gold pin. And for me, it's like I go out at the home mountain and and I make all my staff wear their pins. I I want them to be proud of them. But for me, I didn't do it for them, but just being a part of it and seeing them succeed and go through the training, it's been so cool that those pins and watching other people get them mean more to me now than my own pin. And it seems like that's kind of a little bit of your drive. You definitely, you're rewarded by watching others and just seeing how well they can do. Yeah, exactly. And seeing the people they're with. It's not just them. It's just. I don't know, I can see the success they have of their customers. And when you, I mean, I cruise around the mountain sometimes, you talk to the instructor, and groups are, God, we're having the best day. Oh, I had such a breakthrough today. Oh, we were going here and there. I mean, that's the excitement. You know, it's not just that instructor, it's that they've actually been able to transmit that same synergy to, to their customers there. So, that's the big thing because I think we can get a, a, too caught up on who are we. I mean, for a long time, I didn't always wear the big badge in front because almost like intimidating. I'm almost telling <laughs> the students that, hey, look at me. I've got this big shiny pin versus I'm here to help you get better, you know, and and I th- hopefully that happens and you see the value of it. Yeah. Uh, so I go back and forth on that one personally. Uh, so, so when did – Mike Porter learned how to ski. Like, do you remember the experience where you're younger than you can remember? Was it? Oh, you know? I, no, it, it, was inter- it was an interesting deal. My family weren't skiers. Oh. I don't and then my, my dad went to a convention at Yosemite and my mom went with him. And for the wives, they had an elective was to go up to Badger Pass and ski. So while he's at the convention, she spent the days up there skiing. She came back home and said, this is what the family should do. This is, could be a good family sport. So I was like six, five, six years old. You know, so about a week later, my brother and I went off on a ski week with my mom. So we all learned to ski together at the same time. Cool. And then that week, my brother broke his leg at the end. <laughs> and it was snowing that week, so they couldn't take him to the hospital because the road was closed. It was in South Lake Tahoe. It was up there. 
So I skied for two weeks. He waited a week. So <laughs> I got a head start on it. You know, and then my dad said, then my dad's behind. He hasn't skied. So while my mom was watching my brother, he took me skiing the next weekend. So the family learned together. Oh, that's cool. I think it was like six years old. So, so how did it progress? Just the family kept skiing, you know, what were those early years like? And, and, uh, you know, was it an instant love? I mean, obviously you went two weeks straight and you had your ski week. So I'm thinking it was pretty much, you were in it. Yeah. But I think my recollection, I was pretty crappy. (laughs) I mean, I I don't remember any wizardness out there, but you know, it it was fun. And, and, uh, and I think the beauty of it, because Basically, I could ski better than anybody in my family because I had one more week's worth of training. Um, <laughs> I was pretty independent, yeah. you know. And then, and, and my parents, we, we went in lessons, some, and but it was I was totally free on the mountain. I could go ski. Basically, I said, "No, here's a J bar. Make up the J bar, or there was a T bar." Uh, the area I was originally had a little J bar, so I could just do loops and all that, and I could run around. So it really was this sense of independence and the exhilaration of sliding around on the mountain. And it was, you know, it was, it was a lot of fun. Then in, then into high school, I went to a boarding school and my roommate, uh, parents, mother was this great old skier. She didn't ski anymore, but she was back in the heyday of Dick Durance and all the racers and all that and travel around. So she knew all the history and the nostalgia. They had a house right at Homewood. And uh, so I'd go up on the weekends with them and go ski. <laughs> so so did you continue to take lessons off and on through your teen years or just ski? Uh, the teen years were skiing. I was trying to race. So I'd do stuff there. Um, but also in those days, you had ski and ski magazine had 8,000 educational articles. So I'd do it. And, and then, I mean, it wasn't that complicated. Then you did a stem Christie, you were good, you know, half, halfway parallel. The skis were junk and you went and. Shit, we got to go back then, Angelo. And then if we can, because, dude, I can kill the stem Christie. Oh, I know nice. I'm going to get killed in this one. Wait till some of the crew will go capering. You are. You're good at that stem Christie. You're still good at it. You would excel. <laughs> but look at the World Cup slalom. Half the terms <laughs> initiations are stem Christies. It's a great yep. term. <laughs> you got home. Don't worry. We, we heard it here. I, well, I, I got to remember back because what was it? It was about the thumper turn. Somebody, the thumper turn on one of our team members, it was either Hafer or Rogan. It was something about the thumper turn, which who was it? And now now we got the stem turn. So if I can do the thumper turn and stem Christie from Mike Porter, I've got it. That's <laughs> my whole catalog. You changed the terminology, though. The converging step turn. Converging step. <laughs> oh man, that's so yeah, cool. He's dominant. I mean, of course it is. Perfect. <laughs> oh. So how did Mike Porter become involved in ski teaching? Did somebody say, hey, come do this? Did you want to find a way to get tickets to go skiing? Yeah. Uh, I try to do it that way. Uh, no, the big deal was where the I said my roommate had a house in Homewood on Lake Tahoe, and there was a little ski area there that had night ski. Mm. And a lot of times at night we'd go ski there because the guy's mother didn't ski, but she wanted to watch how we skied. So we ski there, and there, there's a ski school director there. He asked me if I wanted to go teach. I said, God, you ski really good. And, you know, you're skiing and you want to teach. And, <laughs> 
Um, so I said, yeah, give it. That was trying. So I like I was a senior in high school, so I did stuff, and then uh, yeah, I'd, I'd teach evenings there. So I'd ski during the day at Alpine Meadows, and at night over there and do a little teaching. Cool. So on cast, he says, "Yeah, we'll teach you." So with the lessons, was it like what was the um, training program going in back then? Like to become a ski pro, was it like, "Hey, here's your jacket, there's your class"? Was there a lot of training? Uh, with him there, the, I mean, he was like the only instructor there. I mean, it's a small area. And yeah. then, but I went from there to Alpine Meadows. So when I was in high school, I, I mean, in college, I taught at Alpine Meadows. And that was a very serious training program. Yeah, literally every morning you went and did training. You went out there, practiced. If you didn't teach, you practiced training. They had a whole progressions. But the big thing in that that era was it was all progressions. I mean, here's the run, here's the progression. Certification was the same way. I mean, you followed each step, and then you went to the green run, and then you, if you did your snowplow turn, link snowplow turn, then you learned how to do a traverse. Then you learned how to do a stem, a stem turn. So you combine the snowplow turn with traverses in between. Then you did a forward side slip. You learned the lateral side slip. Then you went into a stem Christie and you matched after the fall and then you were in the fall and then before the fall. So, I mean, it was very strict. And literally, you couldn't do that. You didn't, even though you could ski a black run, if you couldn't do those parts, you weren't progressed to the next class. So, <laughs> so, so is that still a lot of the influence? I know you've talked, I think it was maybe on George Thomas's podcast, you were talking about in the Lake Tahoe area, the, there was some French and Austrian and Swiss influence, depending on what school you were at or... Yeah, I, it, that was across the U.S. Yeah. I mean, for sure. But like Alpine Meadows, where I was, we taught modified Austin. Next door, Squaw Valley, which is not Palisades, was 100% French. And you went down to Mammoth Mountain, and it was Max Good and the Arlberg technique. Yeah. You were at Heavenly Valley, it was pure Austin. Uh, but if you're reading the ski magazines at that time, they'd do the Stratton Mountain Ski Week with Hel Helmet, whatever his name, and, and Stratton Mountain Boys versus the the Squaw Valley Ski School with the French versus Boyne Mountain Stein Erickson Ski School. And it was always comparing different techniques. And I mean, you guys in the East, how many different names did you have on ski schools? Carl Pfeiffer. I mean, every, every ski school sort of had a person's name and they had some of their own ways to go ski. Uh, you know, at the same time in the, that era, you had Cliff Taylor with the little two foot skis, instant parallel. Then GLM came along, and then you. But the Arlberg was the Stem Christie term. So basically, it was competing ways of skiing, and everybody's advertising which way was the best. Uh, you know, when I got certified, it was when nineteen sixty six, I think, when I went in there in Western. You had to tell them what you were going to be certified in. So I could say because in Western they. It wasn't even part of PSA. It was just the Western region. But if you were from Mammoth, you better be teaching Arlberg. If you were from Squaw Valley, you better be teaching French. So you were certified basically in that part. You know, so I mean, and this is later on, what's going to tie into some of the skills concept. Yeah. Was that, I mean, people were arguing which way is the better way. Well, you rotate coming. No, you counter rotate. Well, you split rotate. Oh my gosh. <laughs> but, but in the magazines, that was it. And they'd argue which ski we 
they'd put their staff people in each one and who did better and all that. And um, it was fascinating, but it was very technique based. Yeah. So, so how did you, yeah, go ahead, Angela. Sorry. So not, not necessarily all the different influences from the, from the different countries, but when you were talking about the, it was pretty programmatic. Mm -hmm. The progression was, was very kind of out. Do you think, just in you know, in your estimation, or was there were there any advantages to that sort of thinking about it that we've given up as we've moved to what we do now? I'd go yes, in that it was pretty simple. That as as a, a teacher, you knew what you were going to do next, so you could work with the people. Mm-hmm. I mean, you hundred percent could be focused, personalize each one. This is what you need to do. This outcome. So you weren't trying to anticipate what that next step going to be. Mm-hmm. Um, but the problem is you were trying to do that step perfectly. And, and some people were never going to do a parallel turn. Mm-hmm. And so there's downfalls that way. But what I really liked is you could personalize the lesson plan. And I was pretty loose on how technical accurate I was. <laughs> I mean, I didn't, I didn't get hung up. Hey, we got a left turn. We got a right turn. Let's go. Let's get a couple more miles in there, get a couple more runs. And that was some of my early successes is that that I got more runs on there, got the people skiing with more mileage. They could gradually ski better and they were having fun and they actually learned to do it. So we we <laughs> we we give an answer pretty regularly these days that I I suspect you didn't give as much those days. And and people will ask us a pretty direct question and we'll say, Well, it depends. but it sounds like maybe that answer wasn't as as prevalent back then because things were a little more spelled out oh 100 very black and white i I mean i taught in austria for a couple years and those buggers would be in the in the woods with their binoculars watch and they go (laughs) mike at 10 30 today on this run you weren't doing a very good stem christie i saw that downhill ski sliding in the hall jerk <laughs> you know i mean so i mean it was more it wasn't that my people were skiing down nicely we're linking turns we got over to the next place to have some lunch it was that downhill ski was sliding a little bit in your traverse you better it's not the image we want yeah. so and when we see new folks come into teaching they tend to be very progression oriented you know trying to remember what this they're coaching in that and it's hard until we start to get more depth of knowledge to be able to handle those situations to be more coaching what's in front of us you know that level one instructor has a hard time without the progression or any advice or thoughts other than study harder from the great mike porter because we see that we see people really struggling they need kind of a framework but then once you get experience you can realm around and i don't think I, I personally don't think there's anything wrong with a little bit of framework because, I mean, a lot of times in your beginner areas, you have to say, you know, what works in your beginner area? Is it wide? Is it steep? Is it flat? They got big cruising train. Do they need to get somehow figuring out how to control speed quickly or is it open? I, as, you, as you said, I think with the newer people, you set a basic framework and, and the people don't have to master it. Yeah, but that's a good guideline to get them in because once again, that allows them to talk to the people. 
if I'm always worried, what am I going to do next? Or what should I teach and all this? That's taking time away from the people. So I'm there. Now, as you get more confidence in it, you can find, well, I can skip a little part here and there. You know, and that's where my follow-up training goes is that, you know, if someone's doing pretty good here, you can, you can put, you can let them go ahead a little bit here. Or you can, you know, and don't be afraid to let a couple of people still work on that one and give a little bit different tasks to a couple of other people that you can, you can have your three or four or five, six people working on a little different focus. There's nothing wrong with that. But I, I think once again, success builds on success. So you gotta, you just can't be open ended. I mean, if they have no experience, let them get there and then talk to them. And then at the end of the day, you can reflect how did it go? What happened there? You can coach them, but at least you have the foundation to coach off of. So I'm not against some basic ones that to me, when we master it, we try to master it for the sake of mastery, or we're just doing it as, as, as a, a foundation to get a movie. They're two different things to me. Yeah. Yeah, that's cool because it, it is that's that struggle at the home mountains. You know, everyone goes, Well, at my hill, and it is, it's situational to what you have for terrain or snow or width or how steep the beginner hill is. And how many classes do you have? I mean, some days it's stacked, you don't have that much room, and other places yeah. have tons of room. Yeah, yeah. one day it's beautiful snow, the next day it rains and freezes, you go, Not so beautiful. <laughs> yes, <laughs> that's eastern, that's that's eastern like 99% of the time. <laughs> But you better have a plan B and a plan C. Yeah. Oh, God. So how how much over the years, because Mr. Rogan, people don't believe that Mr. Rogan, and he does, man, Michael Rogan teaches a ton of beginners when he's back at his home hill out there. And and how much, I, I bet you taught a lot of the lower levels throughout your years. It wasn't all just doing clinics and national team stuff. Yeah, no, it was a lot of beginner stuff. Uh, it's most rewarding. You're not dealing with bad habits. They got no habits. <laughs> you know, you're coming in with right. You're coming in with something fresh, and that, and you can, and in theory, you can get the most headway. I mean, you can take a person has no idea if they're ever, if it's going to work or not work, and just to see that first thrill of gliding down a hill. I mean, that's the beauty of skiing is your feet are standing together, yet you're moving. I mean, there's no other way you do it. And yeah. rush coming through your head, it's, it's cool. And then getting a little turn and just, and, and the idea, you know, at the end of the day, you could, you know, a lot of times you got them linking turns down a little beginner area, flat hill or something like that. That sense of accomplishment, they go, God, this is so fun. They're independent. They're working. It's great. We're at the highest level. I mean, look at your own scheme. I mean, you'll take a point and work on it for half the season. Yeah. I mean, I do the same. You're working on this, you're working on that. I mean, sometimes a full season, like pole swing, pole touch, pole plant all my life, you know. <laughs> oh. Yet at the lower level, beginner and all that, you can get it going. The first time you take them up the mountain and cruise down a little ridge line, it's, I mean, to me, it's almost, the, it, it's the most easiest way to get the most reward. Yeah. And And when you became, certified with PSIA. It was early in the years of PSIA. So there, it wasn't like one, two, three. It wasn't the associate full. It was just one cert, right? Uh, you went and you, if you did it, you could get, there was two. You had associate and full. Yeah. But if you blew them away, you could get full. Yeah. Both just one exam, they, whichever yeah. you got, if you blew them. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. But the majority of people did the associate and then full. 
Yeah. That one at a time mo was mostly for the European instructors that came over to teach who were all fully certified in their country and they'd take it. But I think it was yeah. a rare day any of us mortals got this. Yeah. And and what got you the bug to for the national team for the tryout the first time? Ah, that was interesting because when I graduated from college, I was teaching my way through there. I had a the, at Alpine Meadows Ski School. One of the guys there ran a ski school in Australia. So he said, "Do you want to come teach with us down there?" And I sure, perfect. Graduated from school, I'll go down there. And down there, it was, we were on a mountain, Mount Buller, and they had two lift companies on the same mountain. And then one, one lift company was French, and I was in the Austrian school. And then at the French one was the, the ski school director was the guy in charge of the French National Ski School in Chamonix. And then he, his right-hand man was their number one trainer. And then in the Austrian ski school, we had a guy named Paul Romano, who was the main demonstrator for the Austrian team. So all of a sudden, I saw these top guys, and they were really good skiers. I go, holy smokes. And then Romani asked if I wanted to go back to the Austrian national school in St. Anton, St. Christoph for the winter. So I said, yeah, that could be cool. And so I was teaching St. Anton, then I'd go up with their training, and they were training for the the next interski. So I saw the Austrian team training for interski and I got to ski with the guys on the side and watch and all that. So I started getting some idea of what interski was. And that was pretty interesting. And I saw those guys were top skiers. So then a couple of years later, when I went back to the U S in Western, they said, we're going to, there's a tryout for the Western region to see if you're going to go to the national team. And so I went there and I said, that's pretty cool. You know, because the experience was more with the Europeans. Yeah. I mean, I really didn't know what the Americans had done whatsoever, but I saw the Europeans, you know, so I thought it was uh, pretty cool. And then and then they did that. Oh, they had a big event in Vail in the late 60s, I think, where they had a lot of the international skiers there. And I, I was on the Western team. We did our – every region sent out their demonstration people, and the Austrian team was there and the French – so I saw a little bit of that teaching training deal and I said, hey, that's pretty cool. So <laughs> I, I got me going and then I happened to make the team. I said, oh, this is pretty good. <laughs> <laughs> Just sounds easy, Angelo. Why didn't we do it, man? Yeah, it was, it was, a lot of it was I had the experience in the U.S. Yeah. And then uh, – and just watching the precision level of skiing between what the French guy was doing it and the Austrians were doing it that I saw. And um, just really the, the, the effort, time and effort they put to master the sport. But it was, you know, it was beautiful. Yeah. Well, it, it seems like you, you love to watch good skiing. And I would imagine when it comes to listening to it, like at Interski or even when you were back young watching these guys and listen to what they were saying, I bet you listen to every word and, and analyze it and problem solve how you can put it into your own coaching. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Let me interject with that because that, that I, I will confirm that because I had the opportunity a couple of mornings to hang out with Mike at the last dinner ski in the mornings before the sessions began, there was an exhibition hill and, and, you know, each day some countries would, would 
demonstrate their technique and a bunch of us standing at the bottom watching and there's some commentary and whatnot. And, and just when you see Mike watch skiing, taking it all in you, you, and, and you can see things registering it. That's when I gave me a little bit of an insight into how much of a student of the sport he is. Cause it was, there was full focus. The other person I've gotten that with is Ellen, you know, being in clinics with Ellen and then like at national Academy, we, I skied with Ellen a couple afternoons last year at, at big sky. And what once was with, with the Canadian guys. And then once was a, a session with Robin, uh, Robin Barnes and Matt Boyd did a session together. And I was with, with Ellen and both of those. And she asks more questions than anybody. She, she is taking notes in her notebook. She's she, her questions are uber thoughtful and you just start to get an idea of, of what, like where they're coming from, you know, and, and I've, and I've had that same experience with Mike. And I think Mike, something you said earlier was, interesting and it's a result of that that you tend to learn more than you or you feel like maybe you're learning more than the people who are ostensibly supposed to be learning from you but i think that's because of like you you have such a rich frame to put all these new ideas in connect it just i imagine connecting dots like oh wow like that that reminds me of this thing that i heard in austria and that thing i heard from Daisy or whatever but yeah, just just the amount of, of of genuine curiosity and interest and love for it from from both Mike and and Ellen, it's it's really impressive. You know, that's humbling for somebody like me who I think a lot of people look at me where I am in my pathway and my position, and they think I know a lot of stuff, and 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 I maybe I know a decent amount of stuff, but talk to Mike or talk to Ellen for 15 minutes and you realize that there's, there's just vastly more to know. I think that answer is yes and no. I mean, yes, you can always learn more, but that doesn't mean you're any better. (laughs) (laughs) But you should see Dave's stem Christie's. Oh, my stem Christie can kill it, man. Come out to training for head staff training in the East and I'll show it, man. I'll Shostak will tell you, I show it every turn. (laughs) But but I I think one thing Angelo's sort of hinting on there that I'd like to bring up because it's very important is that whenever you see a description of a turn, it tells you all all the elements you got to do. It's all technical parts, this and that. You know, stand on the ski, tip this, don't twist that thing. And I mean, you can analyze a parallel turn to way more depth than we can tell someone how to walk. I mean, how do you throw a ball? How do you walk? You know, and my worry is that in skiing, we analyze all this stuff, but our body doesn't function that way. I mean, every, all my life I've been walking. So I mean, what's more important to me is tell me where I want my foot to go and I'll figure out how to get it there. And tell me what speed I need to do or walk. I mean, these are the external focuses you need, yet we go on this internal one. I mean, who knows? When I'm walking, I couldn't tell you what muscle's firing and what one's rotating. And yet in skiing, here are people trying to tell me that this muscle functions like that. And go. the answer is maybe yeah, maybe no. Not everybody does it the same. And I think this is what I look for, why I ask people to do is what's their focus to get that turn? You know, and and I forget about all that mechanical stuff because to me, it's it doesn't affect you can't tell me how to throw a ball. And if you look at all the major league, they put the same way. 
or use the exact same muscle. I mean, and the same thing is in scheme. And I watch people make turns. And some people have ability to really set up the turn early. Some are quick. Some have a real feel for the snow. I, I mean, I, I think we get lost on this tangent of mechanics and not what fascinates me is what's your focus? I'm thinking of getting the ski light, then I really want to sting it here. Or I'm waiting, let that pressure build up, and then I'm going to cut across. Or I'm really looking toward that apex of the turn, but when I get to the apex, I'm starting to look at the next apex, or I'm starting to look at the top of the next turn. I mean, these are these internal focuses. And if you give a trigger like that, your body will figure out how to get there. But if you don't give your body that focus, then how can it help you? You know, so to me, this is when I look at people and watch and ask that question. That's what I'm interested. What's your focus? What's your point? What are you thinking? And I look at the type of outcome they get. So to me, that that's a critical thing because I think we get so hung up on technique. And yeah, it's great to describe it, but who skis it that way? <laughs> you don't think external focus in the femur or something like that? Yeah. And and with that thought process you have, looking at Interski, your thoughts, Mike Porter, what were some of the things you, you thought the focuses were for different teams? Did, did you notice certain countries doing certain things and others, you know, or even our country? What, what was your, what were your, what was your thoughts on inner ski in that realm? All right. To, to me, it's fascinating because I think in general, especially on Facebook, there's this focus on the carved turn, short slalom skis, carved turn, so much analysis, critical this and that. Uh, and it's fascinating because it isn't really, it's, it's not a turn that's really sold to the public. I mean, how many people in the public come for that lesson? And, and it's fascinating. A number of years ago, the Swiss came in and their first question, that not this seems to be the one before, was, do any of you have any, any of you countries have any upper level classes? And they said, we don't have any upper level classes. And their whole focus was on carving. And then so we asked them, where, where were people going? And they say, well, they're going more with the mountain guides. They're going off piece. They didn't want to carve. Yet, and, and the Swiss did a great job marketing. They had events with carving. They've got TV shows with carving. They've got magazine articles. Um, so, so we've sort of got that contradiction going in that the pinnacle we think is this super carved turn, which is beautiful, but yet it's not a money turn for a business, you know. So that so that's the prelude when I went to Interski to see if that really exists, you know. And all of a sudden, the Swiss were a little bit. More, they still like their carved turn, but they were more happy. They they're playful with it. They're sporting. They're jumping. Yeah, we have fun. We enjoy it. That's good. Um, the U.S. I think a lot of time gets beat up sometimes because we don't always do that carved turn. So someone said, "Oh, you're not to have that high performance this and that," you know, or we go to or we go to Interski and we have wider skis on. You know, and they go, what are you doing with that? But the majority of the people in the U.S. ski skis that are wider than 80. You know, probably the average, what's the average? 90 to, I mean, 89 to 100 is probably the, the biggest meat of American ski sales. You know, so what I like about the U.S., we had that variety. And I think at this inner ski, we said, okay, you want to carve? We got a couple carvers. We can do it. But we can also do a little bit more shaping, a little more sliding. The variety, and they sort of said that shows our versatility, and that, and if we're really guest centered, we got to do the skill blend, the mix that matches where the people want to ski. If I want to ski bumps, then I'm going to learn to be shaping, sliding, skidding, pivoting, that type of turn. What do you do in powder? It's going to be a little bit more two footed, 
less edge angle, a lot more rotary. I mean, sometimes even it could be full body rotation. You figure that playing. So to me, I was looking at that one. And then you saw a couple countries that wanted to prove how great they were. So they really tried to outcarve everybody else to, to up their position and others that were confident. You know, like a lot of Slova- Slovenia and this and that, they did a nice variety. They said, hey, we have a ski racing background. You got a stivage, you got a slide, you got an arc, you got a pivot, you got an headset. Um, so that's what I was looking at to sort of say who was doing it for show and who was doing it to really represent the whole menu of what their consumers would get. That's cool. And and our team going, there's um you know, the team has to, um, they don't get paid to go. They, they get a lot of their expenses covering that. And back when I think you first started going, it was like the whole team was self-funded to even get the interski back when you were going on as a team member. It was, yeah. but, um, so it's an interesting thing. People, you know, some of our members think, oh, we spend all this money as an organization to send our team. And then they go, what do they bring it back? And, and I'm curious of your thoughts. Cause one thing that I think about is that like how you like to learn that you, and I think a lot of our team members do that at that level that they watch what other other countries are doing and watch what their teammates are doing and they're able to input that information and it may not be brought direct. Like this is what the Swiss are doing, or this is what the Austrians, this is what I'm going to tell you about, but they're able to become better professionals in the, in the trade of teaching and skiing because they go to those things. And that's hard to rate how much we get out of that, that, comes down through, but everybody they ski with in their clinics, I think is, is better off that we sent our team. Do you agree with yeah, that? I, I agree. I, I agree. And that also so that the idea out there is that when we present our ideas, all these other countries can challenge us. And a lot of the other countries being their technical people or have their doctors, their university people. I mean, mm. it's just, Amazing. Andrew saw that. I mean, the Hungarians, the Bulgarians, the Romanians, Slovakians, the Germans, the Austrians. I mean, everybody that's speaking is a professor. I mean, they've got that. They're very knowledgeable in that one. And this is a really good check and balance. So we do that to to validate what we're doing. We change our ideas. We modify our ideas. Like, Like what we showed now, I mean, how the whole learning connection has evolved since the last time a lot of it was feedback from the inner ski in bulgaria because and we realized we were probably underselling the people skills and how do we get that more connected bring those parts in uh, so that's very important and and then the other part that you bring back i think we need to look at is we ski different in different parts of the us i mean 100% when i go to the east coast I mean, I'm pretty well guaranteed it's going to be right around zero one day. I'm going to probably have a little powder one day, and I'm going to have some rain some days. And I'm going to have a lot of the runs are narrower, connectors to get here and there, and it could be frozen coral reefs. It could be frozen harbor chop, or it could be beautiful, nice groomed snow, or it could be bulletproof hard snow. But that's what I'm going to get. Or if I'm in Colorado, I'm not going to get those. It's going to be something different. Well, if I'm skiing in Jackson Hole, it's serious off-piste. What do we do? How do we go about it? The same in California. Whereas if I go to Central, I know it's going to be pretty hard snow. It's going to be groomed, and I can really lay some good arcs. Um, you know, so so I think as a country, we, we really need to recognize that, that the product you are 
the challenge you're getting for the people who feel comfortable skiing is going to be different in each one of those regions. You know, and that's one of the beauties of inner ski is that we can get different pointers from different countries on, on how they ski those different parts. I mean, because a lot of the countries that like the Eastern Bloc countries, that I say Bulgaria, Romania, Slovenia, Croatia, I mean, they are very race, race focused, hard snow focused. How does it go? I mean, it's fascinating to see what they do. I mean, that those ideas wouldn't go anywhere in California. But they have a central, they're really good, east coast, really good. I like that idea to play with them now and then on man-made snow. Um, so we really have that diversity. And I think that's one of our strengths and weakness because we want to be unified. What do we say? But the mix which you need across the U.S. is different. Yeah. So we're on the tech just where I wanted to go, Angelo, because I got Mike Porter. Uh-oh. So, you know, and it fit right in. It just fell into place in terms of like – I mean, we have the person, we have one of the team members as the team went to Interski in 1975 to launch or, you know, to vet the skills concept with the world. And now we have our five fundamentals. There's always this battle. You, I guarantee Mike is seated on Facebook. You know, skills concepts did. We have the fundamentals. It's like, no, it's not. It's like, and, and it's in our manuals. Both pieces are in our manuals still. Can you talk about I guess when you launched that at Interski and what the skills concept was then and how it fits in now with the five fundamentals, is that too much? No, no, because it, it, it ties into just what we said. But yeah. When we started on the team, we had the team was selected and we had some guys from the East Coast. We had guys from West Coast. We had guys from Utah. We had guys from Colorado. All good skiers, but we didn't ski the same. You know, we had Paul Jones. He was actually from the French ski school up in Bozeman. He rotation. Jerry Warren was counter pivot, counter braking turns. Uh, then we had ballet. Bruce Bowen was a ballet skier. We had East Coast guys with the hard pivot edge set. We had Colorado guys, big swing turns. You know, and and we realized we're all good skiers, but we didn't ski alike. So and and at the same time we had all these different ski schools out there progressing stuff. So we thought said what are the common elements? So that's when we started doing the skills. And and initially we came we probably had 25 skills. I mean pole plant was a skill, weight plant. You know, we went through all the different elements and gradually started to refine them. But the point we were getting at is we all skied our own personalities too. We all had fun doing it, but we didn't look exactly the same. And that, and when we went to Czechoslovakia, that's what we really wanted to show that we enjoyed skiing, but it wasn't restricted in the form. And so we were worried because we didn't have the greatest looking formation. We would pick three people that skied sort of the similar, run them back and forth. And we did it. And then we watched the Austrians you know, choreographed beautifully coming down the Swiss and the times we go, Oh God, you know, but we're going, yeah, we had more fun, but we're jealous of that part. And then it was fascinating is that as the week went on, we got to know the other team members and I met the head of the Austrian team and the guy goes, you guys are so lucky. I said, what do you mean? He said, you get to ski. He said, we demonstrate. We aren't skiing. We're demonstrating. And the Italians were saying the same thing, you know, they tell us exactly what to do, how to do it. So we said there may be hope. And then the French came on. And in that time, you had basically an hour to do your how your, your country taught. And they did 45 minutes of this, all this progression on progression. They had about 23 different forms of side slipping. 
I mean, unbelievable. <laughs> and then they stopped. They said, that's how we teach. But then they go, this is how we ski. <laughs> and then they just ski. They went out. They were wild. They were skiing. They are jumping. They are hopping, playing. And that's we said, you know, there's hope for us. This is what we're talking about, is that technique isn't the end. Technique is just to support the, I, whatever outcome you want. You know, and a lot of times the terrain is so this dictate the outcome. But that was the message we were trying to get across is we were free. It was personal. And at the U.S. at that time, you have to imagine we had freestyle skiing was coming. Mm-hmm. We had the pro mobile tours were starting to come out there. We had ballet coming in there. You know, we had ski racing because you had the, we had success in the 63 Olympics coming in there. And then the Sapporo, the 70 Olympics, we had some success. So really, we were trying to re- represent a diverse country. So th- that was the start of the skills. And when we came back, we refined it into the four skills. Yeah. But at the same time, what we added was the guest center teaching. Yeah. The whole point of the skills is you wanted to match the personality or the expression your student wanted to portray. Yeah. So on one of our members' posts on Facebook – the skills concept is dead and it's all only the five fundamentals. What's Mike Porter's answer? I think I think they're they're very similar. Because if you look at the five fundamentals, or, or, or let's start with the skills. The skills concept's beautiful. Great. It works. But what's the outcome? If I look at the skills, that's not going to give me a turn. You tell me that I want to do a nice medium radius arc turn. Then I'll tell you, look at the skills that you want to be more outside dominant. We want to have a nice steering shaping of the skis, no pivoting of the skis in there. We want a nice blend of angulation and inclination to get that edge grip. But And basically, if you look at the fundamentals, that's what they've done. What they basically said is that the majority of the turns we do, we want to have the ski outside dominant. We want to, how we turn the feet. We turn the feet under a stable outside body. All they've done is taken the, the skills and created a blend that more suits the basic turn we're doing in the U.S. now. Does that make sense? Yes, to me. Angela, you had some. I didn't know if you had something. I thought I was jumping I on I, Well, I was- Probably nodding. I, I've been thinking about that quite a bit lately, that the idea that a new manual sort of precludes everything that came before it and people get real rigid about the way they think the organization thinks about what you're allowed to say and, and all those things. But like, I just, I, I've never agreed with them. I never interpreted it that way. I don't like, if you look at the center line, it gives you a nice, uh, idea of what comes next. You know, it gives you an aim. You, you can aim. If, so, if you got somebody who's wedge turner, you can say to yourself, all right, I'm going to try to get them closer to matching their skis at some point to get them, you know, to progress. But the, when I think about the center line, the part, the other part that really jumps out is that lateral learning came with that. So there was permission. We were encouraged to explore on either side. We were encouraged by the manual, by the organization to be flexible and be creative. And you think about the skills concept and those diagrams, how like, you know, if there was a, if you were looking at the bump blend of skills, the 
the rotary bubble got real big and the and the and the um pressure management bubble got real big, but the edging bubble got smaller because you don't need so much edging in that situation or what what you need the terrain gives you. So but that changes if you're carbon. But there was again, there was permission to change. There was we were encouraged to be flexible and and I don't see any rigidity in the fundamentals either because the words regulate and control like regulate by definition means it's variable if you're gonna regulate the temperature in your house you go over to the thermostat and you change the numbers up. there's a change implied so i feel like there's always been as far as long as i've been involved in our curriculum which is since 1989 90 season it's 30 something years it's always been flexible but I think that's the part of the message that's gotten lost. And then so folks tend to say, oh, oh, well, a new manual came out. Now it's fundamental. So we can't talk about skills. And I've never read that in the appendix or anything. So I'm just going to keep doing it the way I've been. Doing. <laughs> yeah. To me, your key word is flexibility. You know, and, and, and I'd love to push that more because I like to make carved turns. But I'm not going to be able to do six hours of laying them down hard a day. I mean, my mentally, I'd be out of focus. I need you need to pace yourselves. Or like when I'm moving around the mountain, there's some places I can save my energy. I can be a little slippier, slidey, nice shapey turns coming in there. I'm saving energy for the next pitch. I need to be spot on. And if it's a narrower run, then I know I'm going to need more sliding, more seeing. If it's a wider, I can lay them on edge. It's that versatility. And, and I think we're losing a little focus on that versatility. So if you look at the skills concept or if you look at the fundamentals, you know, tell me the outcome you want, then we can look at how we apply it. But, you know, as a standalone, the skills concept as a standalone doesn't mean much, but there isn't an outcome, you know. The fundamentals refine it a bit more. They narrow that window a bit more, but it's still, if you, if I'm in a narrower shoot or narrow gut or it's crowded and I want to see a narrow corridor to get through the crowd, I'm going to have to have more, a lower edge angle, more rotary, more shaping to get it to come. If it's, if early in the morning, nobody's on the run, I can lay them over. I mean, it's edge to edge. Uh, all are valid, all can be answered by the fundamentals or by the skills concept, but we forget saying, what's that outcome? I just can't generically say you need more. Tell me what the performance level is, what the turn radius is, what the pitch is, then let's talk. You know, And that's where I think we, we miss it. And because once again, since we're such a broad country, we've got so many different windows, what we look at, that we can't be that specific as a national body say, this is the turn because that may work in California, but it's not going to work in central or it may not work in the East coast or, you know. No. Yeah. Well, I can tell you that that Eastern short turn when I'm out of big sky, I get tired after about 50 of them. And I look down the hill and I still got a long ways to go. And that's when it's that coaching like Capron, maybe you want to open that turn up a little bit. <laughs> open that turn up a little bit and do more shape at the top <laughs> or your speed through a little shape and not just pounding it at the bottom. Yep. The hill exactly. I mean, yeah. the beauty of the fundamentals is you can answer that. But you have to first ask the question I'm trying to answer. Yeah. And that, that's my point that we get in there. 
and people argue without saying what the turn is or or you're some slow skis and I know mountain ski. Well, your edge engagement is going to be different than my edge engagement. The amount of rotary I have in my turn is going to be different than the amount of rotary you have in your turn. Even though we're skiing a similar line, for me to ski your line, I'm going to have to slide a lot more. I'm going to have to shape a ton, and that edge is going to be later coming in. You could be arcing the whole thing. I'm going to be sliding two-thirds. I could ski in your tracks, but you're going to be ahead of me. <laughs> I can just see the coach come out in him all the time. Every just when he starts, you can see him get energized. I just love it, man. I gotta, I gotta find a way to go skiing with Mike Porter sometime. <laughs> well, and Mike, you you mentioned walking. I I think the real litmus test for the fundamentals, if skiing is going to be natural movement, not contrived, the fundamental movements of it need to be applicable as closely as they can to walking and running. Because that's, that's what we're built to do. Yep. And if you look at the wording of the five Alpine fundamentals, I'm just picking Alpine because I'm just most familiar with them. But um, if you look at the wording of them, that they could just as easily be applied to how we walk and run. And I think that's the real strength of them is that if they weren't that closely aligned with how we move as a species, we should question it. Man, we do each of those five things when we when we move our bodies. You know, I think it's super valuable stuff. Yeah, oh, exactly. Yeah, that's part of the skills we got that way. What do you do to? What can the body do? It can it can turn. You have pressure control, and you can tip sideways. Yeah, similar. Yeah. Yeah. So, what is the, in the children's manual? There's all these little blurbs where there's some cool people, some really high profile, a lot of our top end folks across the country and are, are, are teaching children snow sports manual. They give a quote of what they think a great, what it takes to be a great children's instructor. I have a question just for Mike, like what makes for, if you're going to put a quote like that, what makes a great ski teacher, a great ski instructor? No, I thought about that a lot. And what fascinates me is, especially as you've been in the business longer and longer, there are so many different personality types, people types that can work so well with people. You know, that it kind of disregards it. I mean, there's some people that, I mean, realistically, if I spend 10 minutes with them, I go, that's enough. And they go in front of a class and they dazzle <laughs> these people. They come across and you go, I mean, I didn't think they had I mean, three good ideas in their head. You know? <laughs> so, so I, so I, re I, I, I really want to watch myself there. But I mean, the biggest thing I, I think is that, that you listen to the people, that they feel you care about them, and the, that you're interested in what they want to do. I mean, to me, those are about the, the main tools there. That, yeah. I mean, all, all of a sudden, I'm connecting there that they know I care and they know that I'm there to help them and that you do it. So how, how you do it, I think different people can do it different ways. Yeah. I mean, some people don't have to say anything. Some people give this, this aura about them that they're caring, they're right there. Others, I mean, it's different parts, but it's just you get that connection. And to me, that's, that they know you want to help them. 
that you're there for them. I, I think to me, that's the summation. I've tried lots of other words, but how you do that wide open. I do. I like that. I like that, Angelo. <laughs> I like it too, bud. <laughs> otherwise you write an encyclopedia i mean look at the traits yeah. of so many different people and i go well this one is that trade and that one they're successful they have this one pretty soon you're overwhelmed but the more you boil it down and boil it down boil it down it's just you know we connected you know yeah. and it could be an emotional level physical level i don't know i mean i'm it's beyond sometimes it just it could be with, with words, without words, but they just see something there that you're there for me. That's cool. Well, before we finish, Angela and I want to actually invite you back. We'd love to have you on again. We're open to like, you know, give us a ring and say, hey, we haven't talked to you in a while. There's, a, there's another guy out there that does that quite often. Hi, huh, Angela. All of a sudden, Angela and I will get a text and like, Hey, we haven't talked in a while. We're like, okay, he wants to talk about something. We're gonna... So we have that open invitation for you. Absolutely. Oh, we're good. We're good. It's great fun. Yeah. yeah it's really cool. Angela, you got, any, got anything else for him before we finish up? I'm looking forward to seeing a couple of weeks. Take some runs. Yeah. Me too. Yeah. <laughs> um, but no, it's, it's, it's been a pleasure, Mike. It's been a pleasure today. And it's been a pleasure each of the times I've gotten back hang out with you and it's fun man like it's fun like we got lost behind the dumpsters at big sky <laughs> <laughs> oh that day <laughs> yeah. so finding i didn't get the a grade did i <laughs> but, but, but watching mike talk himself further and further into being later and later for a presentation that one day <laughs> if i take another run i won't be able to shower that's okay but, if I take one more run, I'll have to go in my ski boots, but that's okay. <laughs> no, but, but what that, you know, what that means is that he, and he's the real deal. And that's, you're the real deal. Like, that's why, yeah. that's why people gravitate towards you because your, your interest isn't, isn't, uh, it's not ego driven. It's just genuine. Yeah. That's some, that's the important thing, you know, I think of, of all. Yeah, that's where that connection piece. I mean, we, we share a common love, a common bond. No, I mean, like here, it's fascinating. Listen to questions and talking. Where are we going? It's, it just gets my brain going. I mean, it starts stimulating. <laughs> so, why'd you ask that question? Good question. Okay. <laughs> I answer a good question. How do we go? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 That's been awesome. And, and congratulations. And I hope, because uh, I believe it's in March. I can't remember the exact date, but your induction into the U.S. Ski and Snowboard Hall of Fame, well, well deserved. Um, I think you saw that as it came out and was announced. There's tons of comments and everybody how well deserved and I, everybody's excited for you. So well, hope I hope you enjoy that. And, and thank you guys. It was a great time. And we, I'll phone you. We'll come back. This is good. Time. Right. Cool. Good awesome. I appreciate hey, it. Hey, cool. Everybody out there, this has been the fall line with chaos and company. And we have had the legend, the man, Mike Porter. Um, and he definitely does care and makes that connection. That's why it's so much fun. If you have not had the chance to skew Mike, you should try. And we will all see you. Thanks, everyone, for listening.